Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If it's your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you do that and fill the form out for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to give you $5 to one of the nonprofits that is listed. Well, we're in the middle section of a six-week study in Paul's letter to the Ephesians churches. And if you join us for the first time today, I just want to encourage you, go back and listen and watch the previous messages. All right, we broke down Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter one. And then last week we took apart what really is the focal point of the entire letter, verses 11 through 22 in chapter two. And that includes the message of unity, which is so vital for our world today. We are all one in Christ, right? So this idea of unity of of Jews and Gentiles becoming one new people group, it's pervasive throughout the letter. And it spills over into our passage today in Ephesians chapter three. So unity team. Um, keep that in mind as we're going through the passage, okay? And so Paul's going to end Ephesians chapter 2 by explaining how as believers we're all one in Christ and how Jesus dwells in a united body of Christ. When we get to chapter 3, he has in mind the prayer that he's going to end the chapter with, but he actually goes off on sort of a related tangent for a little while, which is something he routinely does in his letters. Uh, Take a look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 1. Paul says, when I think of all of this, by the way, that's a reference to where we were at last time, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, and he pauses. <laughs> so look at what he does. He, he, he pauses, and it's almost like he says, yeah, I, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do that. And he jumps into what's verse number two. And in the Greek language he's writing in, verses two through 13 are one long sentence. You grammar Nazis and teachers are going crazy, right? He has one long sentence. And he jumps in tangentially with this, verse number two. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special response responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. What is the mysterious plan? Well, we're going to get to that here in a moment. As you read what I've written, he says, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. So I want to stop for a, a minute. We're going to work through this passage here today. And so Paul, he, he's in prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. We learned that in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, that he believed Jews and Gentiles were also on equal footing with each other. Unity again, major theme in Ephesians. We're going to revisit this situation of him being in prison in verse 13, but he's in prison because of his ministry to the Gentiles for Christ. And it gets him thinking about his role and his purpose. So at, at Radiant, you know, we're going to start our growth track process again in September. We were on break for the summer. And step one teaches you who we are as a, as a church, why we're here and what our story is. But step number two, that's where you learn um, about your purpose. We think every person should come 
come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And it's in that second step that you learn how God wired you and gifted you, and we help you discover what that purpose might be and how you can use that purpose to be a difference maker for Him. See, every single person has a purpose, and that included Paul. And, and his was to bring the message of Christ to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish folks who were out there, right? So take a look at verse number two again. He says, God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace. So his job is to bring God's saving grace to the nations. Now in the original Greek language that he's writing in, this phrase actually points to a direct implementation of strategy. So in other words, God had a strategy. God had a plan. He was implementing this plan through Paul to bring the Gentiles into his kingdom. And, and, and why not Paul? I mean, Paul is a great candidate for this if we think about it. He's highly educated. He, he's, he was first century Ivy League material. He grew up in a Hellenistic Jewish household. Hellenistic Jews were Jews who lived outside of Israel. They were the minority in a Greco-Roman majority culture. They understood Greek and Latin. They knew the customs. They had familiarity and relationships with Gentiles in a way that Jews who lived in Judea just really didn't quite have. And so Paul was really the perfect bridge to get the message of Christ out of Israel and into the nations. Now, if Paul fails in this task, then the Gentiles are deprived of God's grace. Can you imagine for a moment like the, the kind of weight that must be? I, I don't know if we fully understand today how important it is that we actually dispense and give out grace, we, that we intentionally and strategically reach our neighbors and coworkers and friends for Christ. But if we fail even to attempt to reach them, we could possibly deprive somebody of an opportunity to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you think of your place and your role and where God has you in those terms, it will change how you view people. Perhaps you won't be you know, so private in your faith, right? Like perhaps you won't be as judgmental as maybe you're inclined to be. Perhaps you will intentionally, strategically look for opportunities to bring Jesus into the picture when you're hanging around people who desperately need Him. Now, of course, the big news is that everybody's hanging on to as the letter is being read in each Ephesian church. Remember, these churches are like small groups that met in people's homes. Is what Paul is saying in verses 3 through 5 regarding this mysterious plan that God has revealed to him. And it hasn't been revealed in previous generations. So the answer to what that plan is, why it hasn't been revealed in the past, it's really found in the next couple of verses. Look at verse number 6. And this is God's plan, the mystery here, okay? That both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. So, so what's the mysterious plan? It's that both Gentiles and Jews are on equal footing. God views them equally. It perfectly follows the thought from chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, that Gentiles and Christians are now united as one. See, God's plan unites everybody. His plan unites everyone. It was understood in the Old Testament that Gentiles would receive salvation. But as we learn in Ephesians chapter 2, to receive that salvation, you have to convert, right? Like, I mean, Gentiles have to be circumcised, submit to Old Testament law, have the kosher diet, all those things. And still, even at that, they could not enter the temple to worship. They, they'd be kept on the outside looking in. 
But Jesus changed all of this, and, and we're now united as one in the body of Christ, regardless of your race. No one knew how that would be possible in the previous generations. They, they, they knew in the Old Testament some kind of door would open for Gentiles, but they had no idea how it would happen and what it entailed. Paul's saying, I know how, man. I got it. I know. It's through Christ. And you don't got to change a thing. Stay Greek. Stay Roman. Hey, stay American. Stay Chinese. Stay Japanese. It doesn't matter. Why? We're all one in Christ. What makes this more amazing from a first century point of view, and, and you have to remember, you can't view this from a 21st century context. That's not fair. It was written in the first century, so you gotta put yourself in their shoes. So what makes it more amazing is that this, mis this mystery is, is now public knowledge. So in Paul's day, to be told of a mystery as it pertains to faith and theology wasn't actually strange, because there were all kinds of mysteries in different faiths and cults and religions, but only the elite held revelation. So only a select few understood what they were. But for the first time, there's now a faith which doesn't entrust its mystery to a handful of people. It gives public access of knowledge to everybody. And it goes a step further. It includes everyone as they are. Jews don't have to become Gentiles. Gentiles don't have to become Jews. You just need to be you, man. Have your heart and life surrendered over to Christ, and you're good. And this was mind-boggling in Paul's day. And I think part of the reason it doesn't seem nearly as impressive to us today is we just don't look at the world through a, a Jew-Gentile prism, right? Like we, But we do see the world really through race. There's an increasing trend among academia and institutions which want to assign, for all intents and purposes, salvation to many racial groups and damnation to others. And this philosophy doesn't really have redemption, yet it's the dominating philosophy in academia and it's emerging as the dominating philosophy in more and more of our institutions. If you want redemption, regardless of your skin color or your ethnic makeup, man, it's yours. Like, you don't have to change what's immutable. You don't have to apologize for where you were born or what race you were born into. You have forgiveness and mercy and love and grace, and it's all wrapped up in the salvation which comes from Christ and in the body of Christ. Every single one of us are united as one. And what changes? What's our spiritual makeup? Like, our heart changes. Our our spiritual nature changes, but we don't physically have to change the end acceptance. God unites everyone and he does the work of changing our hearts to become like him. It was a mystery in Paul's day. I would argue right now it's a mystery in our day too, that we're all different and yet we're one in the body of Christ. Now Paul's going to continue in verse number eight. Look at this. He says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom and his rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. There are a number of different ways we can go through this passage. <laughs> Just this one right here. 
but I'm gonna try and be as broad as I can to encompass most, if not all of them, all right? So think of this passage as Paul communicating that grace involves action. That grace involves action. Let's start with verse number eight. Paul draws some attention to himself, and at first glance, it kind of looks like a little bit of false humility. You know, the kind of stuff that we do to downplay talent and ability. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a musician. I mean, I play because I love it, but I'm not the same as these other guys over here. And you happen to be like the most talented musician in the room, right? It's that kind of thing. However, this is genuine. It feels very real. And I think when Paul writes those words about being the least deserving of all God's people, I think he's thinking of who he once was. I think, I think at times Paul must have been haunted by how deeply he persecuted the church. In a couple of his other letters, like Colossians and Philippians, both of which are written around the same time as Ephesians during his Roman imprisonment, first Roman imprisonment, he talks about how violently he persecuted the church. I think he hears the screams. I think he sees the faces and he has deep remorse for how he acted against other believers in the body of Christ. And it only cements in his mind both the power of God's grace to save somebody like him and just the honest to goodness mystery of God using him to reach the Gentiles for his kingdom. And so Paul is given God's grace but he doesn't sit around and soak it in. He's not passive. He's enlisted and empowered by God to reach the nations. That's what grace does. You know, God's grace enlists you and empowers you to action. It doesn't allow for us to be passive followers. We have to be, as James will say in his own letter that he writes, doers of the word, right? Like we have to be Christians who are mobilized for action. And yet, when we put grace to work, or we're acting on it, we can't do it selectively. Remember, God's plan unites everyone. And so it's on us to dispense the grace of God to every single person. Now, when we begin to do this collectively as the church, something really cool happens. Uh, we begin, uh, we, we become the place where the wisdom of God is made known, as Paul describes in verse number 10. It almost seems like the church has a really like, you know, lofty cosmic role when you read that verse, right? And the truth is, it does. <laughs> Verse number 10 is so unique. It's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. I mean, the, the no description of the church in this manner can be found elsewhere. We're giving out grace in an active manner. And as we're doing this, as the church, global church, big C here, we're displaying God's wisdom. The NLT, which is the translation we largely use here at Radiant, doesn't quite do verse 10 justice. It's not just, you know, wisdom, but rather it's the multifaceted wisdom of God. So the original Greek that Paul used in his writing conveyed the idea of God's wisdom being many, multifaceted, all-encompassing. Picture, you know, a diamond for a moment and think about how valuable that little rock is with all of its what? Faces and facets, each of which are priceless on their own merit, right? And that's the description Paul uses and is kind of the get at when, it, when talking about God's wisdom. So, so who is it for? Now this might challenge some of you a little bit, but if you're a person who's very logical, very rational, which by the way, like I am, I can relate to that, I lean that way, uh, this will stretch you, it might even seem irrational, but I want you to keep an open mind and follow me here, okay? This wisdom is for the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, Paul says. Typically, but not always, when this phrase is used in the New Testament, it refers to angelic beings, like good or bad. And so Paul was saying, 
saying that God's church displays His incredible wisdom to these many different spiritual beings. And it means that we as a church are not simply displaying God's wisdom and power and grace to those outside the walls. We're also impacting and influencing people, not just from the community, but in the unseen spiritual world around us as well. I know, that's kind of mind-boggling. Here's the thing about angels, all right? They're not little gods, <laughs> okay? Let's get that out of the way. Their knowledge is limited. They're created beings. We know from Scripture they have names. They have emotions. They encounter us sometimes unknowingly. That's Hebrews 13, too. They exercise will. They have personality. I hate to break it to you, but when you die, you don't become an angel. They're an entirely different being from humans. They're not made in God's likeness, but we are. They don't have the same grace that God offers us through the death and resurrection of Christ. That's what Paul alludes to in verse 11. And they actually know us better, I think, than we know ourselves. Now, I don't know why God chooses the church to display His wisdom to angels. I mean, to me, that doesn't make any sense. But then again, God often shows His power and glory by moving through and working in situations and people and vehicles which we find worthless or just ill-equipped. It's one of the ways he lets everybody know, <laughs> I still got it, man. First Corinthians comes to mind. You know, First Corinthians 127 says this, that God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. We've never seen God face to face, but the angels have. They can see him. They see him on his throne. They see his power at work. They were there when Christ died. They were there when Christ rose. They witnessed creation. They've seen it all. We haven't, yet we believe. And I almost wonder if they find it fascinating that people who have never seen God, who weren't around for any of those timeless moments of God's power and glory on display, can place their faith in Him and worship Him with everything they have within them. See, God doesn't use angels to reveal His wisdom to the church. He actually uses the church to reveal his wisdom to the angels. I know, that's just wild. 1 Peter 1.12, they, this is the angels here, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Angels are fascinated by Christians because we see the power of God demonstrated in our lives, and they understand God's power and wisdom better because of watching you and me. It's just mind-boggling, crazy, wild, right? All right, hey, let's wrap it up. Let's get to verse 12. Paul continues, because of Christ, our faith in Him, we can now boldly, come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. The faith that Paul speaks about in verse 12, it's, it's really not his faith. The focus is actually on Christ's faith. So again, it's difficult to see this in our English translation and how our words are put. But when Paul is writing, he's placing grammatical focus, not on our faith or his faith, but on the faith that Christ had, on his faithfulness. Any confidence we have as Christians really rests in the faithfulness of Jesus and not ourselves. So, so what does that get us? Well, it, it, it gets us this, that Christ's faith results in access, but also hardship. 
access and hardship. Christ's faithfulness to carry out God's plan of salvation, to die and rise again for us, it does give us access to God. Really hard not to think about Jesus' own words in John 14, 6. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want access to God, if you want His love and grace and forgiveness, there's only one real way to get it. You've got to go through Jesus. You have to be dependent on His faithfulness, the same faithfulness which kept Him on the cross and erased Him from the dead. It's not our belief or our own merits. It's the faith that we place in Jesus and what He's done for us and who He is, which brings us into the throne room of heaven. Like We have access because of Jesus. But we also have hardship. I mean, Paul's in prison, right? You know, he starts off the passage reminding his readers he's in prison because of Christ and because of them, because of the Gentiles. Paul's in prison because he dared believe that Gentile Christians have the same access to God and are on the same footing with God as, as Jewish Christians. And Paul, this, this once great persecutor of the church who destroyed the lives of Christians, he feels honored. Why is Paul encouraged? Because he's suffering for Christ. And not only is he suffering for Christ, he's fighting for the Gentiles. And he's raising attention to this truth that we are united as one in Christ. It would be discouraging if nobody was in prison fighting for them, if nobody was willing to go to jail so others may hear about Jesus. Our passage teaches us that God's plan was to unite everyone that grace always involves action, and that Jesus' faith brings us access, but also hardship. And ultimately, though, I, I think it comes down to this. Do we value the message of Jesus? If you hear the term gospel as a Christian, you think right away about these kind of terms, Jesus, the gospels themselves, salvation, the good news, all that kind of stuff. And every Christian would say, oh yeah, I totally value that. But all too often we limit the gospel to just a message. We hear it on Sunday if we're in church, or we listen to it or watch it online or whatever if we're not in church. But the gospel is just a message that a pastor or somebody preaches and teaches and that's kind of all there is to it. But I think it's clear from Paul's writing today, the gospel is more than just about getting you into heaven, right? It's more than this present, you know, it's, it's, it's about this present life. It's about, you know, the future to come in eternity. It's, it's, it's about your salvation experience, right? But also your spiritual growth. It's about unity and community, but also you individually. It's about new life and grace, but yeah, also forgiveness. It's all-encompassing and all-consuming. It's a living, breathing experience that is only found in the person and work of Jesus. And so Paul valued the gospel so much, he endured prison for it. And he may not go to prison, right? But, but he valued the gospel enough to risk it all. So you value the gospel enough to be responsible for it and live it out in your relationships, in your marriages, in your jobs, in your community. God has tell you, like, hey, you know what? I, I don't want to be on the right side of history. You know, I, I don't want to be caught up trying to be on the right side of the culture wars. I don't want to be on the right side of the economy. I don't want to be on the right side of theology. I just want to be on God's side, period, right? Like, that's all that I want. I want to be on God's side and risk it all for the sake of bringing even just a few into the kingdom of God. Because that's Paul's mantra, right? That's what got him going. He said to the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, I became a Greek. So that what? I might save some. My prayer for 
those of you who are Christians today, is that you would value the gospel as Paul did in this chapter and risk it all to see people come into God's kingdom. But first, I want to give an invitation for those of you who are listening and watching right now, and maybe you haven't experienced that power that Paul's talked about today, that grace that he alludes to and discusses. I want you to know that that saving grace is for you too. So if you got an opportunity, if you can stop for a moment, whatever it is you're doing, maybe hit pause if you're driving and, and pick it back up in the parking lot. I want you to pray along with me here today. Father, I love you. And I thank you for your son and for what he did for us on the cross. God, I pray right now for those who would say, Pastor, I, I don't know Jesus. I don't know the saving power Paul talks about. I don't know the grace and love that God talks about. But I, I would love to encounter it. I, I'm ready for it. I need a change in my life. I, I've been doing my own thing. It's not working. What do I do? And if that's you, I just want you to pray along with me in your own words. Hey, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me for my wrong. Cleanse me from my sin. I've tried doing things my own way. It's not working. I'm over it. I need you to save me. I can't save myself, but I, I know you can save me, and I need you to do it today. Forgive me, cleanse me, for, uh, save my life today, I pray, from sin and from darkness, and, and, and then just become Lord of my life. I, I, I've tried things my way. It hasn't worked out, so I don't want to call my own shots anymore. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to direct me. I want you to, to take control of my life. And I'm going to follow you. I want you to be my, as we would call, Lord today. But Father, for those who are already Christians, I pray, Lord, that they would not be caught up in the politics and culture wars and all those types of things. Lord, I pray they'd be only caught up in trying to be on your side. You're not on anybody's side, God. The question is, are we on your side or not? And we value the gospel enough to give everything up and risk it all, be on your side to advance the kingdom, to save even a few. To do that, we, we have to be united. We can't pick sides. We can't falter. We have to be, you know, workers for unity. Your plan unites everybody. We have to be active. We can't be passive. Grace and listen empowers, Lord. So may you actively empower us and mobilize us to action. And God, I pray that we would understand and remember that we have access and hardship because of Jesus. So as we have this access to your throne room and to your Holy Spirit, and to the power and benefits that come from that, we also have hardship which will come our way. May we not lose faith. Paul didn't lose faith in prison. May we be like Paul and, and, and keep that faith when we have hardship come our way, when we keep our focus where it should be, May our value of the gospel be great enough to sustain whatever difficulty might come our way, knowing that what we are doing is, is, is advancing the kingdom of God. Thank you for who you are, for what you're going to do in our lives, and we pray and ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. 
If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.